0: the last couple of episodes, we've talked about some wrong motivations for becoming a missionary and how this thinking manifests in problems on the field. Those episodes were based on observations and conversations that we've had with people over the last 35 years. This episode is a more personal reflection of how some incorrect thinking that we had affected us on the field.
1: Right. And it's helpful to be, as we've said before, it's helpful to be honest with ourselves and then to also have those around us asking those honest questions part of the reasons we wrote mission smart the book 15 questions to ask before heading overseas the reason is we want to just ask these questions we don't we don't want to challenge uh, that you know that you have a desire or you have a calling on your life we just want it you to have asked these questions and thought of these things before you go into This kind of work. And we want to make sure you know your reasoning um, about why you're leaving your present situation. That sometimes when we're talking to people, we ask them, What are you doing right now? What's going on in your life right now? Talking about your hometown, talking about your family, your church. How do you feel about your country? You know, sometimes you just want to get out of this country. Amen. Okay. Uh, There can be a number of reasons for me wanting to go overseas. So I know. I myself, uh, realized there were lots of things in my heart when I decided to pull up and move overseas or when I was moving, at least in that direction. Um, I remember when I was going to school out in California, I, I remember learning about the disparaging imbalance of the gospel overseas compared to what it was here. I grew up in such a, uh, a place that had so many churches and, and so many gospel opportunities. And when I learned that, I came to the conclusion That if not me, who should go? Um, I had been given so much. Uh, But God had to, it it took some time for God to show me that David, God didn't need you overseas. You know, uh, he may not send you, but he could use you. You know, he could leave me right here in Memphis. I had to realize that he did not have to use me or send me anywhere. Actually, he could put me in some obscure place where I could do very little, and no one would really see me. Um, and this was a real crisis for me. Um, I had to lay everything at his feet, uh, all my plans and my goals, and I had to let him, as it were, fill in the contract of my life uh, and be willing for him to use me. I know that when I studied, I mean, here I was studying missiology, intercultural studies. I'd studied about Islam and I think the first kick in the pants I got is when I walked into a mission there at the U.S. Center for World Missions out in California, and I was so excited to tell them that I what I wanted to do with my life. And I remember the guy just saying, okay, um, how many Muslim friends do you have right now? And I remember just saying, no, you don't understand. I just studied down the road here, and I'm, this is where I'm going. Yeah, I understand, but what are you doing right now? Do you have any Muslim friends right now? And I said, no, no, I don't. He said, well, you need to do that for the next couple of years, and then come back and see me. And as I walked out, I wanted to punch him in the mouth. I, I was, you know, who, how dare you challenge my calling? Look what I've studied. I'm ready to do this. And then I moved back to Memphis and I start working on my master's in ESL. And I'm ready to go. I make a trip, but I'm very clear that I am heading out of here. And then I meet this girl named Vicki Coleman.
0: that would be me.
1: And I remembered thinking, this is not part of the plan. I don't know if I have time for this, and, and um, I probably, she can tell you whatever, she can tell you her part of what I said, but I remember feeling like, oh, you know, um, I, I know where I'm going, and I know I want to go, um, but I had to, um, I don't know, I think I was so in a hurry. I think I really was, like I said in the last episode, I was judging those that were here. I was judging. I had taken a few short-term trips and I just came back and I went, these people are clueless about what's really happening in the world and the state of the world. And, and I just began to really be critical and judge. And then I had to get out of here. I knew what I wanted to do with my life. And then it seemed like first it was that mission group that was in the way. And then there was this girl named Vicki and my feelings for her. And then we married. And then we began to engage with internationals right here in town because that was the first kick I got is, show me. You really called to this work? All right, let's see it. You know, if you're not doing it here, why should we export you over there? And then as a couple of years go by, I don't know, I start having this, I have this really cold sweat one night. What if I don't go? What if we don't go? And it was the most terrifying thing. And I realized right there, I had put a goal. I had set an idol up. I had basically said... This is my identity. This is how I'm going to achieve something. Or this is the work I want to do. I mean, maybe it wasn't I was trying to prove anything to somebody, but it was I'm doing this amazing, uh, valuable thing for God. And I want to burn out for God. And anyway, it was a dangerous way of thinking because I realized, what if I don't go? What does it mean? My life's going to be a waste?
0: So you had to. Come to a place where you were willing to go, willing yes. to stay. Willing
1: to stay. That was it. to
0: contribute to God's mission on the earth in, by staying in the U.S. or abroad, wherever, wherever he wanted, wherever he placed you. And what
1: I've said is I think a healthy place for a missionary is, first of all, are you willing to go? And if someone says, yes, I'm willing to go anywhere God would call me and I would like to be of use to him in a... In the greatest way. Like I remember reading about that missionary who said, I want to take my one little light to the darkest place on the earth. That was great. But then the (laughs) true commitment to Jesus, then you have to say, but I'm willing to stay.
0: And do whatever you ask. I'm willing to do whatever you ask. Correct.
1: I can't tie it to that geography. Because what if I come back? And this is so important because that actually played into the next two years here in the States, but it also affected us the early months, the early years. It seemed every year we had to sit down and figure out if this is, if we yeah, were thriving. I was going to ask you,
0: how did this whole, like giving this being willing thing, how did that help once we were overseas?
1: Oh, well, first we arrived, all our plans fell through. We were sitting in a little hotel and I remember looking at Vicki saying, you know, if it doesn't get better than this, I'll take you home. Um, but I do remember having to be willing to say, I'll take you home. You know, wait a minute. This is what I've, I've been gearing my life up for this for five, six, seven years. How in the world would I go home? How would I face myself? How would I face others? And once again, it had to be, I often say, well, sometimes what we do is we fill out a contract and then we look and we say, Lord, would you sign this? And the Lord says, no, that's not how I work. He gives me a blank piece of paper and says, you signed the bottom of that contract. And I say, there's nothing on it. He says, yeah, I'm going to fill it out. And that's the kind of commitment that had to be very clear in my mind. And so, Vicki, it did affect me. It seemed like every year, every two years, we would sit down and say, are we thriving? Um, and then it also affected even when we had to come home.
0: Or well, not had to come
1: right. home, when we decided to come home. When God let us? Yes. So basically, it was holding it lightly every year. and saying, God, I'm here. And, and right now, people would ask us, how long do you see yourselves there? And we said, we don't have any desire to come home right now. But we don't know. We're not going to tell you five years. We're not going to tell you 10 years. And I think that kind of thinking actually helped us. You know, I never sat down and said, we're going to stay in a country 20 years. Never that we would refuse have been
0: to, we, refusing to tie our identity to, to being there. To being there.
1: Making it more my calling is to the way God has made me and made Vicky and our giftings. And God, the way this world is today, with all the migration around the world, we can fulfill that calling in so many different places. And so First of all, it's that commitment to God, basically saying the contract is his. It's for me to sign, for him to fill out. and So I think that was a very important thing, as to holding it lightly.
0: Well, also because things where we live didn't turn out the way that no. we thought. It was all very different. Um, God used us in different ways than we had expected.
1: We often sit down, we write goals. I'm going to learn the language for two years, then I'm going to do these disciples, and then we're going to plan to... Hey, why don't you just get over there and see how you make you it? See
0: what God is doing and how right. he do there.
1: Yeah, and what you can do. And so remember in the last part, we were talking about tying missions to your value before God is so dangerous, or tying your identity to being in that kind of work. You cannot guarantee that. Well, and it's not. You,
0: it, will, it will become, you'll become a slave.
1: Yes, and then... You will manipulate others and drive over others. And um, and so I can that's why some people think it was just commitment. You know, wow, you guys, you stuck it out. You just nope, nope, that's not how we did it. We had to constantly be evaluating. And anyone that we saw that was being driven, they were gonna step on themselves or or their their those around them, their teammates, or even the local people they're working with. Okay, so
0: now my turn. Come on.
1: All
0: right. Yeah. Go rewind back. Um, I read in my late teens and early 20s a lot of missionary biographies. Um, I actually think that sometimes missionary biographies can do a certain personality type, like mine, a disservice. Um, They can emphasize hardships, the triumph of spiritual victories without discussing the humanity Of the missionary, except, of course, when they are able to be victorious over that sin or that humanity. Right. Um, You just don't find a lot of talk about how controlling a missionary could be or how difficult a missionary could be to work with or besetting sins Mm. or some of the the stuff that is common to man Mm. that we all struggle with. So with the glorification of all the spiritual biographies, it can easily set up an aspiring missionary um, to make unrealistic expectations of himself or herself, and I definitely did this. Mm. Um, the shame that happens when the person realizes they cannot meet that standard is enormous. Yeah, the shame can take a person down a path of despair. Can fuel a flurry of activity also to prove one to prove to oneself that he or she is worthy. And I, I definitely went through that having arrived overseas. I was very shocked at some of my responses to culture shock, to suffering, to being challenged. It was, I was very mm-hmm. discouraged and ashamed of my frailty, my Sh- sin. Humanity. My humanity. I.
1: Yeah, it was Vicki Meets Missions Field. And we didn't have a book on that, right? We didn't, no, have, we didn't, I didn't know what know. that was going to be like. Was
0: unwritten. Um, <laughs> but because I had set up all of these um, unrealistic expectations of what my life would be like, what I would be like, how I mm-hmm. would respond, it was always very eye focused, of course. Instead of looking to God, I started looking at myself, and boy, you look at yourself very long, and you will go down a path of despair. So in learning um, there to look to God for my identity.
1: You had set up sort of a, this is what a missionary wife
0: looks should like. look like. And I couldn't meet that ideal. And
1: you thought that's what I wanted. You often said, I can't do that. I'm, I can't be this person. And one time you said, I'm not Elizabeth Elliot. And I said, that's okay. I'm not Jim. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to figure this out together.
0: Yeah, it was, you know, things you get overseas and you get settled in and sometimes things get terribly lonely or terribly monotonous in the daily grind of going to language school and trying to study or they become painfully difficult.
1: Being a foreigner and knowing everybody notices you everywhere everywhere you walk in and you're the you're the village idiot because you can't speak. Yes. You can't read anything, and everybody says, "Hey, what's up in the line here? Get out of! What is going on here?" And somebody says, "There's a foreigner in line."
0: There were so many times when things got really, really hard. Maybe it was a ministry situation. Maybe it was learning language. Maybe it was any, any number of things. Um, figuring out how in the world mm. I could cook there and. And really starting to understand exactly how many hours it was going to take me every day in preparing and cleaning up food without modern the conveniences. And this is before we even used had,
1: to. had children.
0: Yeah, the there were times when I questioned my own fitness for this, and and what would happen if I couldn't meet the standard, and I wasn't meeting the standard and failing, and that shame when I fell into this incorrect thinking was absolutely overwhelming and debilitating.
1: So now here we are together and here's the problem with here's is the this is the unique dynamic in a marriage. She's going through this her own thing of what it what does it mean to be a missionary or a missionary wife or Just David's depression wife. And shame. Yeah, you've got your own personal heavy going on here and I may be over here well, in live our particular in situation, living the dream. having so much fun. Living <laughs> the dream. dream. And so I'm thriving and learning the language and going, this is everything I, so we told I you. I hope
0: for, I yeah, dreamed of. Right.
1: Okay, so I said to you, I was willing to stay. I never mentioned that what happened was once I sort of had that, okay, Lord, I, I, I could stay. You know, I can reach people right here in Memphis. And once I was willing to stay, it was just a year or two later, Lord said, okay, you can go now. It was sort of like he always wants our hearts and he wants to be number one and he will not share that with anybody else. And so once I was willing to go, okay, I'll stay. Then it just seems like doors started opening up and we moved overseas. But it seemed like it didn't, that that challenge never went away. It had to come before me. Like I said, when we arrived, we've been there a year. Vicki is struggling. We're struggling in the language. May, I mean, I'm maybe coming home going, look at all these new words I've learned, and I'm having a ball, and she's going, I'm trying to figure out how this stupid washing machine works, and I can't meet, you know, neighbor, some neighbor yelled at me today, and I'm like, okay, so here comes this challenge. Do I What I have to make a choice? Remember, I said God has to be first. It can't be the mission. Well, coming in right there." Uh, second is, this is my most n- important teammate, my most important partner in life, and I had to choose how we were going to do this. And so I can just specifically remember, and we share this when we're teaching on marriage, is w- we had to figure out how we were going to do this. This was going to be a team effort. This wasn't going to be me pulling and dragging Vicki along. And it seems like there was a crucial Fork in the road, where I had to decide, um, you know, do I just keep on in fifth gear, you know? Um, And so what I had to do is sort of figure out how we were going to do this together. And that all because I had not put this mission, this proving, this achieving something over Vicky. So that, that was that was my that's a bit of my journey in that and each year and when we eventually decided we prayed and we we thought it was the right time to come home there we go once again is this God's or is this mine and when we came and we had people said how did you come home or why did you come home you know um,
0: well there were lots of reasons that we yeah came there's down lots of here, reasons but...
1: but once again. If our identity was only there, I always say a missionary who comes home is like a fireman without a fire. He could feel very empty, and if he has put that as an idol, it, it it's very destructive. And that's what we're talking about in these motivations. So.
0: And I think for me, the the challenge over the years that we lived abroad was in really confronting this idea that had been built through both missionary biographies and my own misunderstanding of scripture, my own personality bent, all of things Mm. about there being sort of a hierarchy in the Christian life of those who are the true, you know, the the commandos, the the commandos, you know, Navy seal for God kind of thing. And that I wanted to be one of those special ones. (laughs) I didn't just want to be this regular a civilian,
1: and here we were coming home. Though, well, but then we got to be civilians again. But even before that, well, yeah, exactly. even as
0: I was dealing with the depression of being there, not being able to meet up to my own standard, it was very revealing of the oh. wrong thinking that of this sort of hierarchy in the Christian life of people God loves more. I, you know, how would He use that time to reveal that and to reveal to me that He loves me? Mm-hmm. Who I am that that's where that's where my eyes need to be on him and his eyes are on me. there's nothing I have to do to prove or to achieve or to convince him to love me more. There isn't one child of God who's loved more than another. Mm-hmm. We're all just walking with him.
1: That's the crucial truth and I wish we could tell you you just dealt with this once you know before you left or you dealt with this. When you arrived, or you dealt with this just the second year, you know this is something that we deal with all the time.
0: Well, um, I think it, when you when you start realizing that you are manipulating someone, or that you are feeling despair,
1: or tying your identity
0: t- Just to ask something. you know why why am I feeling this way? What am I hoping would happen? Why is that thing so important to me?
1: Why do I have guilt? Why do I have shame about
0: something? So that can help us in identifying these wrong, wrong thinking patterns mm-hmm. that, that we've established over life and, and draw it back to putting our eyes only on Christ and understanding and knowing his love for us.
1: So the first chapter in our book, Mission Smart, is why are you going? And we, you know, we ask a lot of these questions in it, but that's why we've been doing these is and, and the most important thing you could learn today is that this is not something once you've gone to the mountain and you've committed your life totally to the Lord and it's very clear, you know, no idols. Okay. And you come down the mountain, just know that they're, we're constantly putting these idols in. and this we're is constantly
0: finding new ones and putting them yeah. there.
1: And so I may have said, I dealt with this, but then I, I, I built another one. You know, first it was, I'm, I want to go okay, I'm willing to stay. And then I get there and it's like, I want to succeed. I must do the language. I must acqui- I must be at this level at this point. Or I had a disciple and this person ends up becoming my most important work. And and so really basically, important. yeah, and so you're constantly dealing with idols. And so I think this is something, if you're going into this work or you're on the field now, you're going to be dealing with this and you need to have these discussions and have people in your life asking you, How's your heart? Is this becoming, is there an idol in regards oh, to this work?
0: I, I mean, even just being, we're recording this during the 2020 pandemic. And even yeah. that has been a challenge of, you start to feel depressed because you're not able to do things.
1: Yeah. What happened to productivity? What, yeah.
0: Why? And then you have to come back to looking at oh, the board. Right.
1: I had put something
0: Wow, I was really gauging yes. my value yes. on my success or my productivity. And it can't be that way and be healthy. So even this, you know, we're still engaging with this whole concept. I think it's still well, you go to heaven.
1: It's the Christian life. It's the pilgrim on the path and always, you know, and we can get ourselves down in these swamps, down in these get bogged down in and you know when you are is when you become um so frustrated that you see people in the way, or I think I think in Keller, in that sermon he was teaching on, you can tell when you become angry and you become frustrated with, it's because something's in the way of your idol and you have to have it. And that's why we can't have anything but the Lord and his love for us as number one. So thanks for being with us today. Thanks for listening today. Our book, Mission Smart, 15 Critical Questions to Ask Before Launching Overseas, is available on Amazon in paperback or Kindle.
0: Feel free to email us with your questions through our website, esionline.org. Remember to subscribe to our podcast to get more episodes as they're published.